What's up? Jason Bay here. Thanks for checking out Blissful Prospecting. Today we're talking to Anita Nielsen, founder and CEO at LDK Advisory, and we're talking about how to get in your prospects' minds. Let's get to it. Getting in your prospects' minds is kind of a weird thing to think about. It when I was titling this episode, I was thinking about, oh, that's maybe kind of weird or creepy. Why would you want to be in someone's mind? <laughs> you know. And uh, by the way, if you're checking out this podcast for the first time, the whole premise is really I'm on a mission to help reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're doing cold outreach, you know, making cold calls, sending cold emails, hitting up people on LinkedIn, I really believe that all of that is really a game of probability and odds. So right now, you have a 1% reply rate on average, according to Clearbit, to emails. It's very similar to what I see in the work that I do. And a 1.48% chance of a successful outcome from a cold call, according to Gong. Again, very similar to what I see. And really, it's about making better decisions. So to improve the outcomes, you need to make better decisions. So uh, what we're going to talk about today is how you can get in your prospects' minds to make better decisions about how you interact with them so you can land more meetings and, and close more deals. So Anita studied psychology in college, which is why I wanted to really kind of pick her brain on this stuff. But by getting in the other person's mind, and not reading their mind, not trying to read their mind, but trying to put yourself in the seat of the other person, what it allows you to do is really think about how to engage this person emotionally. I think that we have the logic part in sales down pretty good. That's the case studies. We can help you increase this or decrease that or do this thing faster or for less money, whatever it might be. But we know that that's not enough to move a person. I mean, think about it. Look at, look at all of the people that don't exercise as much as they should or eat as healthy as they should. A lot of them can't afford to do that. And a lot of them know that the science supports why you should eat healthy and uh, exercise on a regular basis. It's not an education thing. Yet most people don't do it, at least in America. Why is that? I mean, there could be a lot of reasons. I'm not an expert on this, right? But it's probably more of an emotional reason than a logical reason. So why do your prospects not to decide not to respond to your emails or decide not to schedule a meeting with you when you cold call them? Well, a lot of it has to do with being able to engage them emotionally. And one of the ways that you can do that that we talk about is through curiosity. Another way is through active listening. So being able to restate things back and make the other person feel heard and understood and just to make them feel good about the interaction. So we talk about that. From a curiosity standpoint, we also talk about how to ask what she calls um, high-impact questions. So how to ask better questions in discovery. And then we talk a little bit about hiring too. So if you're a sales leader, we talk about how to get in the rep's head that you're uh, interviewing, the person that you're trying to recruit and get to come on board with your team. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Before we get to it, if you listen to the podcast on Spotify, I'm trying to get some more ratings there. I really appreciate it. If you get value from this podcast or this episode, go to the Spotify page, Blissful Prospecting, and just hit the rating there. There's a little star button where you can leave a um, an honest rating. I'd really appreciate it so that we can get more eyes and ears on the show. So without further ado, let's get to the chat with Anita. Uh, 
so I mean, you and I share a big interest in fast fascination in psychology, but you actually studied it in college. Mm -hmm. Did you know that you wanted to get in sales back at that time? Or was that just like, what, Not at all. yeah, what, what Not got at you into all. psychology? Well, it's funny. Psychology is something that I was interested in just kind of as a, almost like a hobby at that time in college. I was yeah. in pre-med and I decided at one point I don't want to be in pre-med and psychology was the thing that I'd taken the most classes in because I was interested in it. So I said, oh shoot, I better just make that my major. And then when I got out of school, I would joke about, hey, I want a refund for my psychology degree because I don't know where the hell it's going to get me. It took me till about five, six years later when I was like, oh my goodness, this is in every single thing that I do in my work. And it, I just didn't have that connection right off the bat. But when I started to apply some of the things that I'd learned to, for example, in sales, account management, et cetera, it, it was mind blown. Like, wow, this actually does resonate and it does make sense in real life. The connection, it's human beings right? Whether you're in a class yeah. learning about the human mind or you're selling to a customer and thinking about the human mind. Have you heard of the, do you know who Michael Port is? He wrote a book called Book Yourself Solid. I think I've heard of the book. I don't know. I'm, I haven't read that book. I wonder what your take is on this quote. He says something along the lines of business problems are really personal problems in disguise. What do you think of that in relation to psychology agree. and that kind of thing? 100% agree with them because, you know, if it's even like process and tools, right? We talk about, mm -hmm. it's never really the technology that's the issue. It's the user that's the issue um, with process. It's not really the process that needs to be totally revamped. Are you making sure that the people that are using the process are doing it right? At the end of the day, as long as humans are doing the selling, the buying, or whatever it is to run a company, they, you better know what motivates them because they, a human being can flunk any of your brilliant ideas in a hot second yeah. if you don't have them engaged. So I agree. And one of the challenges being a sales coach and being focused on psychology is sometimes there's like a really, really, really fine line between coaching from a business standpoint and then having that personal life kind of seep into the conversation. And, you know, I've done you know some additional training on how to manage that type of thing. But if people aren't right in their mind from a standpoint of their home life, it's really difficult to get into the game, especially in something like sales where you have to have all your confidence. Well, if something's draining your confidence in your personal life, it's going to be difficult to muster the confidence to be successful in your sales career. Yeah. Do you I'm going to have to read that book now, darn it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The The, <laughs> the book is pretty good. It's just really, you know, it's a whole process around yeah. like booking yeah. yourself solid in your business. But anyways, I digress. Got it. Got um, it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> it's a good book, though. It's a good book. The illustrated version, I would, I would suggest. Um, okay, good. That I could do. With psychology, do you kind of think of it like almost the operating system, I guess, behind how you approach a lot of stuff? Because and the reason I ask that is that, I mean, you see the sales advice and I'm guilty of it too, because people are just addicted to the tactics. I call it sales. Yeah. Practice. <laughs> you know, totally true. Um, 100%. do you think, do you see that kind of problem where people are looking for the tactics and the how to and kind of going on autopilot and not even really thinking about why this works or the psychology behind mm -hmm. it so that I can maybe replicate this across different situations. Do you like, what do you, what's your take on that? I, I totally, I mean, that's exactly what I said. I'm going to steal that operating system idea. I've never thought of it that way, but it's, that's exactly what it is. So for example, if you've got a salesperson and you go in and do training with them, you can give them the knowledge, right? You can teach them the skill, but where you're not going to get to in that training class is the will the ability, that person's desire to want to sell and do a good job. Mm -hmm. And you really, I mean, you have to get into the mind of people because if you're not looking at someone and thinking about what's in their head, 
you're doing yourself a big disservice because that's ultimately what's going to drive the decision. Their emotions will drive their decision by and large. You gotta, you have to um, appease the logical side of their mind, but you have to win the emotional side of their mind. And if you don't, you won't get buy-in. And think about behavior changes. As sales leaders, for example, you can put incentives in place. You can um, you know, crack the whip and get people to do something differently, something that they've learned in a training class, for example. You can force it and you can make them adhere to it. But the minute you're not looking, they're gonna go back to the old behavior. If you really want behavior change, you have to change how they think. And that's kind of what you're talking about, the why. If the salesperson doesn't understand why they have to do something a certain way, they're not, they're not gonna be bought in and they don't understand it. What I try to teach in my classes is, look, this is how you have to look at this. And then I trust that a salesperson who's been taught that thought process, when they're in the moment, they will do the right thing because that thought process wow. will guide their behavior. It's cool yeah. stuff, man. Yeah, and I, I think I don't think that any rep wants to be a robot either and just follow a cookie cutter <laughs> script or process or anything like that. You're not no. a machine, you know. No. Um, and customers don't want that either. Yeah, yeah. Most importantly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, see, this concept of getting in their mind. If we were to step back a little bit, because and the reason uh, I asked this is that there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of talk about psychology, and I. I feel like it's kind of a daunting topic for a lot of people that maybe yes. don't have an interest in it like we do or a degree in it yeah. like you do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where do you feel like, are there three or four or five or a couple principles you feel that are pretty universal across how someone might think about psychology in their personal life and use it? And then in sales, or if I'm a sales leader and I'm hiring or managing people, are there some kind of big yeah. universal things you feel like that are important to understand? Yeah, for sure. And I, if I go into three or four, we'll be here for a week, but I'll give you a couple of really important ones <laughs> yeah. that I teach. So the first one is this idea of, it's kind of a one-two punch, the idea of asking really powerful questions. So that curiosity, people yeah. love it when you're asking questions and you want to genuinely learn about them. That's just, I mean, people like to talk about themselves. And if you can engage them in a level where you're asking monster questions and they're having to share a story or a big story, you're going to get much further and build that trust faster. You're going to show them the empathy faster. So that's super powerful, just how you create those questions. You want to create questions, and I say this only half jokingly, that, that make a shrink jealous, right? Because psychologists are playing in the game of emotion. And one of the first yeah. things they do is figure out how to get that emotion out so they can figure out how to address it. As a salesperson, that is similar to what you're doing. If we know that emotion drives a decision, you better know what that emotion is, whether it's fear or discomfort or not wanting to change the status quo, whatever that looks like. So that's the first one, asking a question. You can get a lot of goods from that. The second part is active listening, really, really listening. So I'm the mom of two teenagers. For me, anybody that looks like they're actually listening to me is, I just, I love them already because no one's listening to me in this house, right? Between our phones and everything, I'm texting them from downstairs. No one's really listening. We're so distracted. Our world has become so online, so um, kind of all over the place. So when you've got a prospect who's answering one of your big questions and you are truly listening to them, and I mean doing things like, you know, asking, well, wait, is this what happens with that? Is that what you mean? Really letting them know that you're listening. You're all in. You are there and they are the only person that matters. And you would be surprised and saddened by how many salespeople just act like they're listening. And please do not think that people can't tell if you're acting, right? They can totally tell. Because like I said, people love to talk about themselves, but I believe the thing that they love more 
and this is the, the crack, is feeling heard, feeling yeah. heard, right? Like they're the center of the universe. So those are just a couple simple things that are you know, founded in the basics of psychology. And it's not like some, you know, I don't tell them 18 different research stories when I'm teaching about why it is. That's the thing. Psychology is the, sci the science of it. There's so many studies. There's so much data, so much research. I found over the years, salespeople just don't have an appetite for it. They want yeah. someone to simplify all that mumbo jumbo and yeah. tell them exactly how it's going to matter to them and how they're going to use that. And once you can do that, that's what matters. So I've always got data and information with me. I've got all sources, but I keep it there for anybody who's interested. And I can tell you right now, there's been three people that have been interested in that in the entire time yeah. I have been teaching because they yeah. just, they heard how I was teaching it. And mm -hmm. I proved to them how it works through role plays or whatever. So those are two of the biggies. I think if you can do that successfully, you are, you are playing the game of psychology. You are getting into their head. Have you always been, if you kind of think back even to maybe when you were a kid, have you always been naturally pretty curious or did you have to work on it? I've always been curious. Um, yeah. You know, I want, like I said, I wanted to be a doctor at one point. So I'm, I'm always asking questions, much to my parents' chagrin, I'm sure. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they're immigrants in this country and I always wanted to know this, this, and this. And I think they struggled and there was no Google back then. But yeah. I think it's just this natural curiosity. And the thing that makes it special for, for salespeople, especially, and I, I am one, is when it's coming from a place of genuine interest in a customer and their plight, right? That's when it really matters. If you're in there just asking questions like somebody who's doing an interview and you're interrogating, that's not what I'm talking about here. You have to go in there with the intent to want to help them, one, and two, you know, understand them enough to know what that means. So we talk about value a lot. Value is one of these words that it means so much that it doesn't really mean anything anymore. It gets thrown around all over the place. Yeah. What I tell salespeople is, look, what you think is valuable doesn't matter. What your marketing team told you is valuable doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what that customer thinks is valuable. And you base every story you tell, everything you do around that definition of value. That's the only one that matters. And to get to that, you have to ask the questions and be curious and listen really carefully. Got it. So on this theme of kind of getting in their mind around. Yeah. Okay. So with the curiosity and the asking, you mentioned asking questions. Do you have any, so if I have the desire to be curious, if we talk a little bit about the application of the questions, I know, cause we talked, we've talked about this before yeah, a yeah. lot. You talk a lot about questions. Do you have any uh, guidelines for us on What's a good question versus a bad question? I know you hear stuff about, oh, it's got to be open-ended uh, versus yeah. close-ended. And yeah. some people are like, oh, yeah, maybe you should use some close-ended questions. Like, how do you how do you think about questions, whether that be, you know, on a cold call or during a discovery call or whatever? How do you, what is a good question, you know, to yeah, you? What is it? What is a it? great what question. Does it do? <laughs> I mean, you're doing it. You're doing it, right? So it's not to get too meta on you, but that's exactly what is it to you, yeah. right? That is what we're after. So open-ended questions are important. Right. You'll get good information when you ask a regular old open-ended question. But when you ask um, what I like to call high impact question, you're going to get a hell of a lot more in that answer. And that's the yep. answer that's going to let the emotion seep in. So one of the examples I like to give is I'd work a lot with um, IT salespeople. And you know, if you ask someone a question like um, who reports to you, right? That's kind of important. You need to know that. Chances are when you ask, it's an open-ended question, perfectly valid. They will tell you who reports to them. Right. They'll say, okay, these are, this is my team here. This is my, and you've got it. You got the facts. That's just the facts, ma'am. However, if you would have asked something like, 
can you help me understand your org structure? Now you've got all the people that report to them. You've got all the people that they report to. And you probably have a little information about how the new CIO came in and brought all his cronies with him. And that you're one of the only people left from the previous company. That's where value lives. That's where the money shot is for the salesperson, is learning what that plight is of that customer. And asking a big open-ended high-impact question like that, that's how you get there. You used the word help. Was that intentional? When did I use it? What did I use? Oh, can you help me understand? Oh, yeah, 100%. So that's the other thing that helped me understand. You can turn almost any question you need to ask into a help me understand because, and it does two things, actually. It's pretty clever. So as a salesperson, for whatever reason, the image in the minds of people to this day is, you know, somebody who's slimy, sneaky, shady, trying to sell me. If you go in and say, or a know-it-all, right, who's going to tell me everything. If you go in there as a salesperson from a place of humility and sincerity and genuinely say, can you help me understand that? Now you're not scary selling me things salesperson anymore. Now you're someone who wants to learn and talk about crack. That's crack. When you feel like you're a customer that is actually going to share something with the salesperson and that salesperson is humble enough to ask you in that way. I mean, that's what you want because that's a partner. That's not a seller anymore. So yeah, yeah help me understand is one of my favorites. Or the other one is, um, how do you explain X, Y, Z, right? Or um, what are your thoughts on? Yep. Those are the kinds of biggies because they'll tell you and then you just shut up and listen. That's, that's why it's a one-two punch. The best questions in the world with some fool who's not listening, don't work. Yeah. You got to do both. You have a take on why-based questions too. What are your thoughts on using why in a question versus what or how? I think why is good, one, because it's the curiosity. And two, emotions get to come in. When you ask a why, you learn the Mm. motivation. And you you kind of learn what their behavior is what you're interested in. Their decision-making process is what you're interested in. When you ask the why questions, there's, you do not pass go, do not collect $200. You are going to get that emotion that you need when you ask those why questions. You have to be diligent about it. Otherwise, you're going to sound like a five-year-old who's saying, why, why, why? And nobody likes that either. Yeah. So there's a balance. But when you throw a few of those in, for example, if you're using questions and you're just not getting to that emotion, it's time to bring out the big guns. Start asking the why. Or why do you yeah. think this? Or why do you think that? And they'll tell you. They will tell you. Yeah. I love that. Can you help me understand? Because it people want to help and it gets very yes. kind of how to almost where you start to get them to think about, I think a lot of people struggle with this is something that I think is harder about, you know, selling something that's a little larger mid market or enterprise is that you, now you're talking to an executive that's very removed from the day to day. So it's really hard to understand what their day to day is. That's right. You know, cause they're not going right. to be sitting in your product, sending emails with it or making calls or whatever. No. You know, what are they doing? And and when you get that, it's just so good in a discovery call when you when you can get someone like this really talk about how they spend their time. Yeah. Because now yeah. you're really starting to get into some of the good stuff. And why they do it that way, right? So yeah. when you've got a leader, for example, like a C level, I mean, they most of them really want to be strategic. They want to be visionaries. But a lot of times when there's dysfunction in an organization, they're doing tactical stuff. And so yeah. as they start to tell you those things, you can tell pretty quickly, shoot, is this company going to be okay with a CEO who's doing, you know, critical fixed calls? No, probably not. Right. That's not somebody that, you know, is being strategic, but they'll tell you. And in that you'll be able to understand 
what are the challenges as a leader that they're trying to address? And inevitably, that's what you're going to need to message back to them. Yeah. You have to put it in the context of what's valuable to them and why get you to value. Yeah. So I think another part of getting in the mind, you said something around curiosity, you said fear, discomfort, you kind of labeled a couple of emotions. How, well, actually in the work that you do, do you find you have to teach people about emotions sometimes? Because I feel like I, and this is speaking from personal experience, uh, experience before I started going to like therapy, like three or four years ago, yeah. I was emotionally constipated. <laughs> I love so, I'm stealing. God, Jason, I'm stealing all. I'm going to steal all this stuff from you. But you're th that's so true. A, a lot of people are. Yeah. I I didn't know I could tell you if I was feeling sad. Right. But I couldn't tell you that oh, I was feeling sad because actually I was feeling lonely because I was feeling left right. out because of this thing or you know, one thing that I'll give you a really specific example of something that happened where I was a cold emailing podcast to get on them. This is back three or four years ago. We're trying to build more social proof. And we were working a lot with nonprofits at that time with their outreach to like corporations. So I wanted to okay. help them with their prospecting. And this podcast, they host a big conference. And they're like, dude, we love your stuff. We'd love to have you speak at our conference. And this was a way that I could get in front of almost a thousand people that I could do business with, you know, it would be a big deal. Nice. And then I got an email two days later from a marketing manager on their team that was like, oh, actually second thoughts, I don't think it's a good fit. And I was so bummed out and, so by bummed that. Out. And what I didn't really think about was why I was feeling that way, because I was angry, you know? I was thinking about, well, I'm actually a little angry here Dig because really there's, it's more sadness um, that I feel like it, it was just a form of rejection, you know, and it made me feel ding, ding, like ding, ding, ding. I didn't get That's picked, it. you know, on the dodgeball team or, or whatever in school. But I, I, I don't think that that's a super uncommon example of, no. you know, before it would have just been like, oh, I'm either happy or sad, you know? Right. <laughs> and, some, like, and some people basic, really, some yeah, people can't yeah. do more than that, right? If yeah. they're in sales and they can't do it, it's kind of hard. But for what you said, I mean, even when you go to that rejection, that's spot on. That's, that's definitely something that you're facing. But I would say even further behind that, so behind rejection is this feeling of um, fear of failure, yeah. right? That's that, like, so you kind of almost have to wire your way into that root cause, right? Because, yeah. and, and that fear of failure tied to livelihood. And I yeah. don't think you get more primal than that, right? So ultimately, everyone's got to make a living. Everyone's got a family to support. You got to dig in and figure out what is it that they're afraid of. Change is hard for everybody. But for some people, their situation is such that change is almost seemingly impossible. So you have to help yeah. them kind of get there. But emotion is something that's really hard to teach, by the way. I still struggle sometimes, you know, telling the difference between an emotion and just, just a normal state of affairs. It's yeah, tough, but I found that those why questions, they really help you get to it. And it, there's, only, there's only a few different emotions that exist. Um, you're kind of at the core, right? There's the fear, yeah. there's, um, you know, loss, those types of things that are there. And if you can get to that, then you'll know what their fear is and what they're trying to avoid. And ultimately, when you're making a buyer's making a decision, they're going to do everything they can to avoid anything getting near that fear. Like that's their jello core. They don't want anybody near it. Once you figure that out, now you know not only that you're not going to touch it, but you help them see that you're there to help them protect it. And that's yeah. where the true client advocate sales professional comes in. Yeah. I think this is so important because if you can't identify some of the stuff in yourself, you're not going to be able to see it in other people. Exactly. Where, 
people are not wanting to move forward, let's say, because you're selling a solution that's pretty hard to implement. That's right. It's like you said, they're thinking about, well, this could take a long time to change. My job. A lot of times what happens in big companies too, is if you're the person that brings in that change, it doesn't go, it's my you job. get fired. That's <laughs> yeah. right. That's, yeah. It's my job. It's my children's yeah. tuition, right? Like yeah. that's your primal fear. So how do you yeah. de-risk that? What can you say to that person to help them see that you're not going to let them fail? In all honesty, you can't make things up, but what can you do to help address that fear of failure? There was that saying a long time ago that no one ever got fired from buying IBM. Yep. God knows how many people sadly bought IBM based on that, right? It's, yeah. you, want, you, don't, you want to avoid that fear of not just losing their job, but their livelihood. That's what's behind it. Jobs are here to pay money, to pay for things, right? Um, yeah. And once you recognize that, um, I'll give you an example. One, like I said, I do a lot of work with technology professionals and um, sales professionals. And one of the things that they do, for example, is data centers and the servers and non-technical, in case you can tell, um, all those things that are in the data center. And at one point we were talking to sell, it was a large deal pursuit and there was influencers and there was the person that was making the decision. And you kind of dig in a little bit. And once we talked and we figured out that one of the things that they were just really afraid and adamant about was their people were getting texts in the middle of the night to go work at the data center, which happened to be in the hood. So not so great. And so their fear, it was more than their job. That person was a real leader. Their fear was for their people and how it was impacting their people's livelihoods. And so that's how it was fascinating for me because now I'm like, this is a true leader, right? Not as worried about all the things that are impacting them. But he kept on saying like, look, I cannot have people missing their kids' soccer games for this stuff. And that's where that they cared about their people to that point. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's because they don't want to lose their job either as a leader, yeah. but it came from a, but he was very sincere about it. Yeah. I think also it's good to point out that that takes a good amount of rapport to have with someone to get to that. Yes. Do you have any advice for, I feel like rapport is like the lost art in sales right now. People are talking about, I see so many things where it's not important. I'm like, are you kidding? You don't have to know the person's favorite food and their all their kids' names. You don't have to have like that's to me. No, that's not exactly you know business rapport type of stuff. But how do you think about rapport and how do you think about like getting getting a prospect comfortable enough to open up about something that is a very emotional driver to getting a deal going? Because you can have all the logical reasons in the world for what you just explained, but the emotion (laughs) is gonna he's gonna take action on that. No matter that's how what's hard gonna it make, is, you know, yeah, that's the deal breaker. At the end of the day, yeah. if you have not addressed that emotion, you're not going anywhere. Um, yeah. But that's a really good question. I go back to what I said about being heard. If they feel heard and you create kind of a safe, non-judgmental space, like I said, yeah. I mean, I'm only half joking when I say you're kind of copying a shrink. You are listening and you are validating and you are taking notes and, and letting them know that you're hearing them. That is so attractive to people that it's, it makes them want to trust you right? That feeling of being heard. And that's a huge one. If you're not doing a good job of that, and then discovery is our biggest chance to do it. If you as a salesperson are not doing a good job of that, well, it's no wonder that you're not getting to that trust level very quickly. Yeah, um, it, It's listening to them and it's recognize, it's helping them see that you recognize what they're saying is important and how. And that's a little bit of reflection, right? Getting back, okay, well, it sounds like yeah. this is important because if it's not done this way, then it'll impact X, Y, Z. And when you do that yeah. and they're just like, that's right. Now they're like, dude, yeah. gets me, right? This, yeah. this girl gets me. And um, that makes all the difference in the world. And then they want to tell you more. 
Yeah. Human beings are you... not that complex in a lot of ways. Like we have some very basic needs of being accepted, wanting to be heard. Yep. It's not that complex. Have you read, uh, I feel like we've been talking about books a lot. Have you read a You're Not Listening by Kate Murphy or heard of that book? No, Ooh, I haven't I even heard of that one. I love that book. It was uh, yeah. homework signed by my wife. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Wait, you are not listening. I don't, no, yeah. I don't think, I mean, I've heard there's like dozens of books like it, but I'll write it. I'm writing it down. Great book title. I love it. Too, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's um, awesome. What she talks about that I think is really your GM is she talks a lot about what it means to actually listen. And this is something that I didn't really get. And she talks a lot about attunement and that sort of stuff. And there's so much that you just in the last couple of minutes explain that I don't want to gloss over because there's just so much in that around restating the stuff back to the prospect. But she kind of had a couple of prompts to ask yourself when active listening yeah. And I'm curious your thoughts on this. One of them was, you know, how does this person feel about what they're talking about? Yep. You know, I was yep. like, oh, that's kind of interesting. How does this person feel about what they're talking about? Um, when yeah. someone asks you a question, what's what's kind of the question what's behind the, this question? Exactly. What's why? the real question? It's your why. Yeah. It's your why. Why are they asking this question? Or what is the emotion that's driving the statement that they just made? Yeah. Right? It's the what's and the why's. It's the digging. Yep. That's, and I'm sure that that book has a lot to do with that. And once they feel like you cared enough to dig to get to that core, without being yeah. creepy, this is always my caveat. Don't be a creep. Um, mm -hmm. You know, be professional, but let them come to you. Let them answer because you are truly, genuinely listening. I have this exercise that I do in a class, and it's just a story about um, a customer that I had in the past. And when I'm done, I always ask some questions about like, what's the age difference between the kids of that customer? People, the horror, even on Zoom, I can see it on their faces like, oh my God, she's about to get us on the fact that we didn't listen. Because I'm yeah. teaching them, I'm being paid to teach these people, but they're not, yeah. some of them will get it right, obviously, but they're not yeah. totally focused. And it's those details ultimately that mattered. And the story that I tell is about how this woman, I remembered that it was like, it was June. I remember that, oh my God, her daughter was going to graduate. I, and I just emailed her and I hadn't talked to her for a while. And then she moved on to the next job and lo and behold, here's my phone call. And no one can say for sure if it was because I made that call and I remembered and I thought about her, but I'm willing to die on the hill that that's why I got that call and not somebody else. Because I remembered yeah. genuinely, like I didn't fake it. Yeah. It was for real. Um, so yeah, that, that stuff matters to people. And that's the emotion behind is that you cared about them as a whole person, not yeah. just their role. That's the thing. You talk about business to business, a building can't sell to another building, right? Yeah. Like ticker symbols don't sell to each other. That's not what it is. Yeah. It's, it, at the end of the day, it's a human representing a business yep. or a set of humans making a decision. And it's a human from the selling company that's doing it. As long as it's humans buying from humans, we have to use the things that make us truly human. And psychology has a huge part to play in that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so, that's so great. Just restating back what the person said and making them feel understood and, and trying to summarize what they're saying in your own words and getting that, like what you what we have going on right now, that nodding, like, yeah, 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 yeah you know. Yeah, and that's right, um, yeah. So how do you, so if we switch gears a little bit, I know that you're, you have a lot of passion right now in the hiring process. So how do we get in the shoes of the candidate? And from my understanding, I don't play in the recruiting field a lot, but from my understanding, yeah. it's, totally a seller uh, it's a reps market right now there's there's fewer jobs than there are really quality uh, uh, reps available yeah. yeah um 
So how do you think about that if someone is going through the hiring process with a rep, like the types of questions they ask them, it sounds like are, are kind of can be a little problematic and not doing them any a disservice. So true. Um, yeah, I'm all up in this right now because this whole idea of the great resignation and salespeople, you know, there's um, few great salespeople in this world. It's not like there's a 20, 20% that are elite salespeople, let's say. Yeah. Um, and they're looking, well, if you're hiring, you're probably desperate, right? And you're hiring for somebody to come that role you're not thinking as clearly as you should. And you may be given a list of interview questions or you may have a couple of tried and true ones, but if you don't really understand where their head's at and what motivates them, you're, you're gonna struggle because ultimately those are the things that are come back and bite you. You know, if you, you can't, there's so many things you can train when you hire somebody. You can train them on the skill, you can train them on product, you can train them on technique. You cannot train them to be sincere. You can't train them to be empathetic. You can't train them to be curious. And so these are the things that you're looking for in an interview. And it's, again, maybe a little meta, just like we have salespeople asking questions to customers that are huge and let the emotions seep in. As hiring managers, as sales leaders, we need to be doing the same thing. It's those big monster questions. Because if you don't understand the emotion behind the way that that salesperson thinks, it's going to be a long road trying to figure that out once they're in there. And you may find out that you shouldn't have hired them. Culture is so important now. I mean, people are getting smart enough to know that if I'm in a culture that doesn't feel like it's here to help me grow, I don't want to be a part of it. And then there's damage. Once you leave, once that person leaves, there's damage to the people that are remaining because they left. So messing with culture is a nasty business. So you have to be very, 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 very careful when you're hiring people to make sure that they're going to fit into that culture. Trick is you have to know your culture well enough to be able to do that. And that's the part back to what you were saying before, self-reflection. So it's two things. One, sales leaders have to do a lot of really um, deliberate self-reflection on themselves as a leader and the culture that they've created in their sales organization. And then that informs the questions that they will ask in the interview. But back to the same idea of high impact questions. Do you have any examples of questions that a sales leader might ask their managers or just themselves or just to get a better understanding of what the culture is? Um, Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of them. I think one of the ones I love to ask is tell me the last time that you helped one of your fellow sellers or one of your teammates in a bind. Okay. Watching the face of some people when this question gets asked is uh, it'll continue to be fascinating to me until my dying day. It's horror because Mm -hmm. a lot of salespeople, we are we are ambitious. We are focused on ourselves. We're self-oriented. And sometimes the people that are like the lone wolf, it's hard for them to see that way. And so how they answer that question will tell you a lot about whether they are a collaborative individual. Is it someone that genuinely cares about someone else? Whether it's you ask them how they helped or how somebody helped them. You got to kind of find that out. And that's going to be really important, especially when you're bringing someone in to a culture of collaboration. Right. You don't want to bring a lone wolf. I mean, people usually say, even if you've got an elite seller who's that lone wolf, probably should fire them because they're not doing any good to the rest of the sales team. And so you have to be conscientious of it. So that's a good one. Um, let's see. Things like, I mean, it doesn't even have to be specific to culture, but you can learn a lot about a person and thought process. So if you ask a sales candidate, give me an example of how you manage customer expectations. Okay. Customer expectation management is crucial in the majority of industries, right? Like, and salespeople have become notorious for 
yeah, yeah, we can do that. We can do that. And then finding out or asking the other team, we can do that, right? Like that's just what we hear. But if you find out right up front that they do know how to respectfully and professionally set expectations for that customer and when they're doing it, that's the person that you want that has got a thought process behind that because there's a hell of a lot of winging it that happens in sales. And that leaves a lot to luck. And we don't want to build businesses on luck. Yeah. I, if we could go back to the lone wolf thing real quick. Yeah. 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 I see this at companies I train where there's a top <laughs> rep there and they, the company is in a pickle because yep. <laughs> it's the, the top revenue. rep at the company. Yeah. Yep. Yet they really bring down, it reminds me of a professional athlete, you know, on a basketball team. I, no, yes. no one in particular comes to mind though, but that is, you know, gets MVP at the end of the year, but the team doesn't make it to the playoffs, you know, yep. kind of thing. Yep. And yep. they just bring everyone oh. down. Um, yeah. It sounds like a big part of what you're recommending here. It can help you avoid a lot of these hard culture things where you, where you find yourself in a bit of a pickle, you know, like yeah. that, where you have someone here that's really not a good fit that happens to be a high performer. Right. Right. It's yeah. It's a, that's one of the biggest challenges in sales leaders face especially in companies where the numbers are everything that matters, right? And believe it yeah. or not, there are some companies that of course value the numbers, but they want to do it the right way. They want to have a team that is inclusive, that everyone kind of works together. They collaborate. Um, so I don't know if anybody has watched, if you watch the show, Ted Lasso, I just oh, started yeah. to watch it. I, I'm, I was obsessed with the first season. I mean, if you're a sales leader, please, for the love of God, watch that because you will so see good. how to bring the best out of people. Even the lone wolf, if you do some things, you can help them be better. Are you going to change them? Mm, my money says no. But if you've got to keep them, figure out how to get the most out of them that you can or figure out kind of how to isolate them. And that's a, that's a leader's job. And that's why I say interviewing has to happen after self-reflection. Because you may bring someone in that you think is going to be great. But if you're not the right leader to manage them and bring that greatness out of them, they're not going to be so great for you. Yeah. How... Do you have any other um, advice that you can share with leaders to kind of get in the head of a rep just to figure out how they're like what their intrinsic motivations might be? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's just it's so it's just fascinating to me something. So I was brought in to work with by a sales leader to work with a sales team where one of the people was just kind of he was always a good performer, but he was kind of dragging everybody down. And I talked to that person and in a very short time, I was able to figure out what was going on. I mean, they weren't performing to what they usually do. And it was by a lot. Mm. And so by asking a lot of questions and kind of digging and really listening, I, you know, he came back and said, look, my wife just got a great job at a monster mega company and I have to be in charge of the kids now. Right. Oh, wow. And he's like, so, and that's, yeah. So what are we dealing with there? Right. Yeah. We're not dealing with a salesperson who forgot how to sell. That's not it at all. It's someone whose basic fundamental focus in life has had to necessarily shift. The trick is, was it by choice? Is he even supportive of this move? Is he bought in? And that's a whole nother yeah. story, you know, from a psychology standpoint, but I, I knew right away that he was feeling insecure because of this. And that insecurity was making him not do things the way that he did that we know would help him win. So it was, it was, yeah. it was fascinating, but at the end of the day, it wasn't that he forgot how to sell. It wasn't even anything the company was doing. It was now all of a sudden he wasn't the person that was the breadwinner and, you know, in a yeah. relationship, that's a tough balance and so you got to get accustomed to it and so ultimately yeah. I mean, he kind of worked through all that 
Um, and then he was back to being amazing and then he got a new job because he was that amazing. So. Okay. I got to ask you, this. this is more of a selfish question. Is there any, is there any tech, uh, techniques or approaches, any favorite things that you like to do to disarm people? So when you go into a situation where you're working with a bunch of reps or leaders and you can tell that, yeah, they hired me and the company wants me here, but this person, they're kind of looking at me like an outsider enemy and, and that kind of thing. Any, any ways that you approach kind of disarming yeah. you know, people like that? You probably be, be, do exactly what you just, I will go in there and say, look, the company hired me. I need you to like me. I want you to understand I have sold before. I'm not a corporate trainer. My job is to make you successful whatever that looks like. And we're going to work on that together, but I'm going to need you to give me a chance because I can't help you. If you don't let me in nine times out of 10, people will be like, Oh shoot. She actually said that. Like, yeah. Wasn't that like inside voices, like, but people that that's how you disarm them. You do something that they're totally not expecting and you can be self-deprecating. Yeah. If you look salespeople, they will chew somebody up and spit them out. If it's a trainer, that's a trainer. No way. Yeah. They're not going to hear. They won't, you won't get past your introduction if they figure out that you've never sold. Um, you know, so you got to kind of go in there and share that I figured for me, one thing I do is I always do a deep discovery with, um, the top rep, the bottom rep, the middle rep, the negative Ned and Sally cinnamon. So the positive and negative reps that are at the company. And I learn enough from them to be able to go into that session and yeah, kind of got them already paying attention. And that's how I, I don't really have to do a lot of it, but being honest and being real. It, it, people love that people love somebody who's willing to just say that, Hey, I'm in a little bit over my head with y'all right now, but I'm good at what I do and you're going to help me get there. Yeah. They invest in you then, right? They, you just, you just gave them an emotion and they, they're going to not, they're not going to want to totally berate you now because you just did that. Who does that? Yeah. So it, you bring out the empathy in people when you can say something that they know that they've wanted to say, but they've never said, you know, it goes yeah. back to that whole Brene Brown thing where vulnerability takes courage. It's yep. a lot for people to understand that, but you have to be courageous to be able to do that. And not everybody can get away with it, but if it comes from a place of just genuinely wanting to help them succeed, salespeople are my client. They will, they're smart enough. They will know very quickly that that's what you're in there to do. Yeah. It's, we've been talking a lot about empathy, but you brought up an important point around allowing people to empathize with you. That's it. You can, if you yeah. go in with salespeople, especially being above them, good luck. And I feel yep. sad for the company that signed that trainer on because it's, you cannot be a know-it-all with salespeople. You just can't, you have to yep. hear them. And then you have to listen to their experiences. And then you have to coach them on that based on that. And half of it is what I call motivational interviewing, right? So asking yeah. questions that make them motivate themselves, right. Yeah. In a way that, um, in a way that lets them see that some of the things that they're doing are going well. And some of the things are not, I don't know why I'm digging. Give me one second. I'm going to shut that off. There we go. Um, they have to be motivated. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I don't know why. Sorry, Jason. I don't know why this is dinging. I shut it off and it's still going. <laughs> no, it's hmm. all good. Sorry about that. Um, okay. So see what I just did there by accident, right? Like yeah. if you are somebody who has all this dinging going on and you're just ignoring it, people are going to be like, what the hell? If you're honest about it and be like, I am not technical. I have no idea why the hell that's going. I shut it off. And I mean, there are not going to be very many haters left because they know that I didn't do it on purpose and I'm not disregarding, um, yeah. you know, anybody's time or anything like that. Yeah. I love that. Be the real deal. One of, yeah. One of the, uh, one of the things I'll do, 
either with reps, sometimes I do it with prospects uh, too, because I sell to salespeople, obviously, and then we're helping salespeople. So it's kind of a little bit different for people like us. But um, I'll say, you know what, Anita, you know a lot more than I do about your prospects. There you go. Because you sell to them every day. And I don't. And you know what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to try to pretend I know how to do your job better than you. You know, and people are just like, oh, shit. Okay. They don't know what to do with that. They're usually expecting expecting someone to, exactly. So I think that's a, I think you have a really good lesson there though, for just any type of prospect that you're selling to make sure that you're not coming in and trying to poke and they feel like you're trying to poke holes in what they're doing versus being, you know, Ian Altman wrote a really cool book called same side selling and the concept of being on the same side as you is really, so I think it's important to keep that in mind. I think that your advice there is really good. And and, uh, I think it can be really easy for reps to be asking these questions and for the intention not to be i'm trying to help you and we're in this together versus me trying to poke yeah. holes and like gotcha you know like kind of thing yeah it goes back to that safe environment right if you can go in and create a safe environment which means no judgment right yeah. like you're not going in there to be like Ooh, why do you do it like that Good. oh my god don't do that ever please because that's just cruel in general um yeah. but create a safe space be able to recognize that you maybe a know-it-all on what you're a know-it-all on, but you're never going to be a know-it-all on their business, period, unless yeah. you start working there. So you have yeah. to, there's that mutual respect that comes with that. And when you say something yeah. like you did, like, look, I'm good at this. And I know that you know everything about your business. I got to figure out how what I'm good at is going to help you with what you're doing. Yeah. Right? And that it simplifies everything. It lets them know where you're coming from. It shows up that you're coming from a place of good intention. Um, and how about this? How about after you said all that, you just like went into a big help me understand question. Boom. Right. Yeah. You just told them that you don't know their business and you're not trying, you know, you're not going to run their business, but you want to learn about it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Um, it's powerful this stuff. has been great. Yeah. You, before you take off here, you have yeah. an ebook that you're working on with some of the hiring stuff. Where can people go to learn more about you, the work that you're doing and anything else that yeah. you want to share with them? So I'm super active on LinkedIn, not so much right this moment, but I usually am very active on LinkedIn. I post a lot of content there. Otherwise, the website is um, for my company is ldkadvisoryservices.com. And I usually post a lot of like eBooks and other resources on there. There's a tab that says resources. And you can just kind of see there's a, there's a really good one on discovery questions too. So I've got both now. I've got salesperson discovery questions and very soon the hiring manager, sales leader questions. 